0: Kovac go blue what is time anyway
1: uh time so time is the wibbly wobbly tiny whiny thing that somehow comes out of the somewhere into space that has something to do with time and it's all controlled by a lord in a blue box
0: oh that's a good it's a good first take man it's a good first take would you say that time is an illusion if if time were like a token in magic would it be an illusion token it would either be an illusion token or it would be a copy
1: a copy that's interesting yeah Yeah. they, they put copy tokens in packs now they just say copy on them i've got one <laughs> around here somewhere <laughs> just a
0: copy of whatever yeah you just play it and it is a copy it just says copy how about it could be a construct as well it could be a construct token you know time could be a construct Mm -hmm. like a construct of our imagination that's what i'm saying man okay yeah yeah you know what else is a construct of our imagination is this game magic arena that we talk about and this podcast is dedicated to magic the gathering arena Welcome to the show. My name is Arjuna. I'm one of your hosts. Joining me today, as he usually does. I don't know. Is this is this some kind of master of time shenanigan? Kovac go blue. You're here every week. What's up, man? I I don't
1: know. I don't know <laughs> what just happened. Is it still this week? It might be last week. It might be before the card was banned, and we're predicting a certain card might get banned. Who knows? Who I don't knows? know anymore. I'm lost. I don't know when they're listening to this. Is it in the past, the present, or the future? They might how like they might be listening to it before we record it. Have you thought about that?
0: It's it's very possible. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because Kovac Go Blue. What is time anyway? Uh,
1: time. So time is the wibbly wobbly tiny whiny thing that somehow comes out of the somewhere into space that has something to do with time and
0: it's all controlled by a lord in a blue box oh that's a good it's a good first take man it's a good first take would you say that time is an illusion if if time were like a token in magic would it be an illusion token it would either be an illusion token or it would be a copy a copy that's interesting yeah Yeah. they
1: they put copy tokens in packs now they just say copy on them i've got one (laughs) around here somewhere (laughs) just a copy of whatever yeah you just play it and it is a copy it just says copy how about it could be a construct
0: as well it could be a construct token you know time could be a construct Mm -hmm. Mm, like a construct of our imagination that's what I'm saying man Okay. yeah yeah you know what else is a construct of our imagination is this game Magic Arena that we talk about and this podcast is dedicated to Magic the Gathering Arena Welcome to the show. My name is Arjuna. I'm one of your hosts. Joining me today, as he usually does, I don't know, is this is this some kind of master of time shenanigan? Covert Go Blue, you're here every week. What's up, man? I, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> what just happened. Is it still
1: this week? It might be last week. It might be before the card was banned and we're predicting a certain card might get banned. Who knows? Who I knows? don't know anymore. I'm lost. I don't know when they're listening to this. Is it in the past, the present or the future? They might how like they might be listening to it before we record it. Have you thought about that?
0: It's it's very possible. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because CGB today we are talking about the banning of you know one of the cards which I think a lot of people thought might get banned in historic, but it it has actually happened this past week. Time Warp has finally gotten the axe so we're definitely going to be talking about that today Uh, we're also going to be using this as an opportunity to just check in on the historic metagame game and uh just talk about metagames games in general and then i know that cgb you have some announcements for us that we're going to cover recently and uh we will be returning a segment on the show gas or ass i know you all missed it so we'll be doing some of that today but first we have to keep the people happy and answer a question from our community. So, um, TheZardars asks, in the ArenaCraft Podcast Discord, which is where you can post questions in the Lightning Round channel, The Zardoz asks, What are your favorite bits of magic lore? They could be specific cards, sets, books, etc. So, CGB, I like this question because you and I have both been playing magic basically since the beginning. I have taken a hiatus and I, perhaps you've had some hiatuses as well, but you know, it's, it's fun to like have a really broad chunk of the law to look back on and think about. So what are some highlights that jump out to you?
1: Well, uh, the first thing I want to say, thank you for the question from the lightning round section of the Discord, which the Discord link in the description on YouTube should now be working, so (laughs) go ahead and click that and maybe join if you have a question. And then I'm going to say, about magic lore, it was always... A very strange thing when i was young because there wasn't a lot of clear lore like mm. fallen empires i never figured out the story homelands there was some autumn willow and some barren sanger and i didn't know what their beef was uh ice age it got cold you know i i, I don't <laughs> know really what's going on behind the gathering behind the cards except for some things in an inquest magazine here or there but then as things went on and they started writing and releasing stories i got to go through those and read those more often. And I did get more into the story through ups and downs. The story has had some very low points where I had to stop reading, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the favorites. And on March 23rd of 2016, this absolute beauty of a self-contained story was dropped on the official Magic the Gathering site, and it is called Sacrifice. Hmm. And it is from Innistrad. It is a tiny little story. It doesn't have any planeswalkers in it. It doesn't have avison and the battle between her and Thalia and the humans in it. it, it it's, it's just a one little story about one small town in the Innistrad Plain where something weird is happening. It is the story of the Gitrog Monster. Oh, a frog horror. Yeah. Death Touch 6-6. Six, six. Uh, I mean, this card, when you see it, a frog horror. It's got a... The art has a human's arm hanging out. It's like dangling out of its mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like it is so it immediately says, oh, that's a cool monster. But then when you tie like a really nice, creepy, self-contained story around it, the card has always meant more to me for that reason. I crafted this card when it became available in the Brawl Festival on MTG Arena, even though it was in no particular set, and I still haven't played it. Wow! <laughs> just I just <laughs> crafted it <laughs> because it, like with and without question, like every time I see a Gitrog monster in the wild, especially if I ever see a foil one, I'm like ah. because and and it started with this story. Uh, it really did. I played it on Magic Duels a lot, but like this is a really sweet story. So if you look up "Sacrifice" by Michael E Cow, or just search "Sacrifice Gitrog Monster MTG Story" or just "Gitrog Monster Story," it will come up in Google. And if you check that out, I, I think it's one of the best. Li- I, I wish so many more cards had their own story. Not not how they interacted with Gideon in the Gatewatch, but their own story like this card does. Because I thought this was awesome. How about you?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's a cool shout out. That's a great card. Calls back to um, the first set of Magic that I really played upon my re-entry. So, Yep. Plane of Innistrad definite favorite. You know that okay so since we're talking about that um, I have to say that and we we discussed this on a previous episode but I just love the Nehari and Soren story arc. The feud yeah, man. Like, the talk rock about and
1: Stone Cold.
0: Talk about a cool. Sh- <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but talk about a <laughs> ship, man. Like, if if we're talking about like my my favorite fandom ship from Magic, it would probably be Nihiri and Sauron. Just because. Oh my. Like, they hate each other so much that they kind of love each other, you know what I they mean? Didn't, they didn't like each
1: other at first. It's the plot of every romantic comedy. This right. one just has a
0: lot more death and destruction. Than <laughs> it's just a lot more, like, people getting implanted into walls while they're still alive happening. Yeah, two or three
1: centuries from now, it'll be funny that time that you destroyed his house, his clan, and
0: put him in a, locked him into a wall you
1: know, they'll just laugh about that. (laughs) They'll,
0: they'll chuckle about that while they're smoking in bed, you know, but like, but there is, I mean, there is an awful lot of people getting stuck in rocks, you know, it's like, he puts her in a rock, she puts him in a rock, she puts his entire family in rocks, like, there's a lot of, you know, and then freaking, you know, Emrakul gets imprisoned in the largest rock we know of, which is the moon. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of Stuff in rocks in that storyline, and you know that's a way to write a good story in my opinion. yeah, quality good, good theme, good motif. yeah nice to know you're a romantic at heart there. i I, I yeah. am you know I mean let's let's face it like the magic timeline, the magic storyline really is just a romance novel. At heart, I actually kind of like that you highlighted the cryptic nature of the earlier Magic sets because that's actually one of the one of my favorite things about old Magic. And when I was originally playing Magic, was actually not knowing, right? Because like, mm-hmm. think about how fascinating it was to read a card with a quote from Jaya Ballad on it and just be like, "Who the hell is Jaya Ballad? Jaya Ballad must be sick, you know? She must be like some badass, freaking mage." I, I almost preferred it when I didn't have a card with her on it. You know, I almost preferred it when I didn't know what was going on. Because I just read these obscure references from people like Ashnod or Urza or whatever. And, and you're like trying to start to kind of put together the story in your mind just based on the art and like these little cryptic flavor texts. And I actually thought that that was something really cool about magic that I feel like we've lost a little bit is like the mystery.
1: Yeah. I I remember going through the cards in Legends and just trying to... Like, some were on the nose like Nebuchadnezzar, but then there was a bunch of cards where it's like, I have no idea who this is or why. It was where Nicole Bolas first appeared. Didn't know why there were Elder Dragons. Yeah, I I agree with you. There is something to
0: not having all the information. Agreed, agreed. So it's, you know, it's cool to these days even look at a card like Winota, Joiner of Forces and think like, man, there's a cool story there, right? And I probably won't read that story if it has been written, but I just like thinking about it. I'm sure that there's some thing with Kinnan or Luca, and they're like doing a thing with Winota, and you know, I don't know, just, I, I guess it's all getting back to romance when we really talk about it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I really don't know, because I think Ikoria was where they tried to sell the Kindle book.
0: Oh, okay, got it. Yeah.
1: And I was like, no. Nah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like it better just imagining it in my head. I don't need to read the book. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. Well, and thanks to you, the Zod Oz, for providing that question. Like CGB said, you can join the ArenaCraft Discord, go into the Lightning Round channel, ask a question, and it might get read aloud on the show. And so, CGB, this brings us yes. to the topic of the hour the banning of one of the more infamous cards in magic's history i mean okay this this we got the classic right time warp i mean time walk which was basically time warp with you know three cmc knocked off of it (laughs) two mana take an extra turn sorcery easy Back in the day, they just didn't really value an extra turn that highly, you know? They value it today. What's that worth? $9,000 bottle brush? Can we get a a price check? I know, right? (laughs) I mean, these days, we pay seven mana to do that, and we're happy about it. We pay seven mana, and we're like, thank you, Mark Rosewater. I appreciate, you know, like bowing down at the altar or whatever. But back in the day, you could take an extra turn for the measly price of two mana. And you know, at some point that revealed itself as being, I don't know, insanely busted. And so they were like, nah 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 nah. Check it out, guys. The new and improved, shiny model, updated for the way we currently play Magic. Five mana value. Time walk. This card's gonna be fine. And uh, and and then what happened, Koboko Blue?
1: <laughs> Honestly, what happened is in modern magic, like the cards, pretty much through the War of the Spark and the Eldraine cycle, have become so strong that getting to untap and play more of them before your opponent gets to do something is just even more broken than it was in the past. It, probably since Urza's block, like Urza's block, if you untapped, you drew seven cards and made a million mana and decked your opponent with a Stroke of Genius. It was good times, good good quality magic. But nowadays, like just another turn with anything. Like, anything is busted. So, big surprise, five mana for a Time Warp in Historic didn't last. I think you called that. I think you said it was going to be the card that was banned. I think everybody the week that they announced Time Warp was in Mystical Archive had the idea of making a Simic deck that, uh, you know, used, like, just Explore, Growth, Spiral, um, Nissa who shakes the world. Everybody was like, that's really good. But what it turned out to be was a a mostly is it deck that plays Velimachus Lorehold from Strixhaven, the five five for lying hasty vigilant dragon that then goes into your deck and checks your top seven and casts that sweet sweet time walk time warp for free, and th- then just attacks your opponent to death while getting a couple extra turns. And that was it. That's all she wrote.
0: We, we found a home for that dragon and uh you know that so this this beautiful combination of three cards right time warp vela and uh the red sorcery what's it called music's mastery might be what you're going to say uh, in, indomitable creativity was the oh, one i was thinking yep. of right uh, yeah so just another mythic in the deck right just you no know, no worries about that we'll we'll get into that in a minute but um just, you know, th- that being the cheating version of the deck, right? Um, or the-, the cheating engine of the deck. So it's the-, the annoying thing about this deck is it's like a cheat into a cheat, right? So mm-hmm. you make a token with Dwarven Mine or with your Prismari Command, and then you target it with indomitable creativity. And, of course, the only creature that you have in your deck is the Velomarcus. And then, you, so you cheat Velomarcus into play, that's cheat number one. Then you attack with Velomarcus and you get a free time warp off of it, hopefully, right? And so that's cheat number two. If you don't get a free time warp, you might happen to also hit a Mizzix Mastery. And uh, if you conveniently discarded a Magma Opus earlier in the game to, I don't know, maybe enable the combo on turn three, or maybe you... Uh, you know, discarded the Magma Opus to make a treasure, which you could then Indomitable Creativity, then you can just do it regularly on turn four. Either way, it's this is like giving you so many different ways to get your combo going off, and one of the most tilting things about this deck is that we don't just have four hits off of Time Warp with Velomarkus, we also have an additional however many Mizzix Masteries you put in your deck, to just get the whole thing going on so I mean it's just like the deck's stupid right Like when, when <laughs> it is stupid <laughs> when you examine this if your opponent doesn't have a doom blade or a counter spell or whatever then you usually just win the game on the spot when this combo goes off um, even if you don't it's usually such a massive swing because like getting basically playing a velomarkus plus a magma opus on turn 4 wins a lot of games of magic so that's the basic theory behind the deck. Um, I, I do think it's pretty sweet, actually, that this ended up being the deck that got Time War banned because it definitely, like you were saying, was not part of the original iteration that people were trying. But I, I think what this highlights is that the obvious answer is seldom the best answer in Magic. And we see this time and time again. People think of something's going to be broken. And if it does end up being broken, it's often on a slightly different vector than we thought it would be.
1: I think that you're right. I think, I, I think of Omnath and how everybody knew it was broken, but the version with Genesis Ultimatum wasn't the version that, and Lotus Cobra wasn't the version that took off. It was the adventure build that was more interactive. So usually it's just below the surface of obvious. Usually a broken card is broken, but now you have to find the shell for it that isn't as easily targeted by the opponent. In this case, this Jeskai turns list was 18% of the Strixhaven Championship metagame. And the most played deck was Is It Phoenix at 35%. So a lot of people had, well, Brainstorm and Memory Lapse are really good. (laughs) But there was kind of a next level to it. And this Turns deck put up a 61% win rate as a pretty hated deck in in this field. But some of these numbers are pretty telling. Like, it was 60% against decks like Is It Phoenix. It was 65% win rate against just Other just the various nonsense of the format. Here it is here's here's where it gets pretty funny to me. It was 60% against mono black aggro, which is like a um, you know, a very disruptive deck that kind of came along to beat it. Brad Nelson had a stream where he was doing very well with it. Do you remember, versus Gruul, it's 66.7%. So now we're getting into, like, the non-blue decks, right? Decks that can't compete a lot at instant speed and with cards on the stack and things like that. So against Aggro, this thing just trounced it. And if you look at the main decks, they don't run, like, Anger of the Gods in the main deck very often. They, They hardly even run much interaction outside of Memory Lapse and Prismari Command. It's just that they get this dragon uncontested and they just win. Now, do you remember Jun Food?
0: I you remember that deck. I'll dust off my brain, but I, I think I can find the little cells in which that deck was stored. Yep. Yeah, about about a
1: month ago, two months ago for sure, it was considered the best deck, like tier S historic. Yeah. Jeskai turns is eighty two percent win rate against Jun Food. The third most played deck in that tournament.
0: Well, which is exactly what I said during the first week of this set, is that like these Jund decks do not match up well against Time Warp decks, dude. No matter what kind of Time Warp deck you're playing, Jund is just cannot keep up with that. Yeah. That is <laughs> devastating. It's brutal. They're, they're, <laughs> you, you are just
1: not... Jund, Jund food for the tournament had a 39% overall win rate in the Strixhaven Championship. It's worth
0: it, dude. You know, all of it was worth it just to see John
1: suffer. Well Gruel Aggro considered the best aggro deck 31%.
0: Like you know aggro's dead. You know what I I think tells a lot of that story in my mind is Prismari Command. Think about how good Prismari Command is against that deck. Imagine your opponent swings in on their Embercleave turn, right? They flash in they flash in their Embercleave I don't know, you just kill the Embercleave and one of their attackers? How how do they recover after that? How does Gruul Oof. recover after that? That's like, well, you know, I mean, Questing Beast nope. or Bust.
1: Yeah, they'll probably play a few creatures and get some damage in. The problem is the next turn you never let them have <laughs> another turn. So, totally. GG's.
0: Yeah, you're just or done. even. I mean, just think about like how hard a Magma Opus is for that deck to deal with. Like, you know, kill one of your creatures, make a 4-4 that's like, okay, the next turn they either have to Embercleave or bust, right? So I think that one of the big issues here, one of the really telling things about an aggro deck like Gruul is that it's really, like, it's not designed to go long, right? And so, like, Gruul wants to kill you on turn 4. Basically, that's the plan. Kill him on 4, hopefully just have, like, a hasty follow-up to end the game if it doesn't end on turn 4. Maybe, you know... you. You top deck a, a haste creature after they wrath or something and you win anyway. But like, you know, if you can if you can just juke them or kind of hit them really hard on one key turn in the mid-game, and then you have any kind of follow-up, like that deck folds very quickly. So it doesn't surprise me. And I I do think that these Jeskai decks, especially with access to cards like Lightning Helix, can just shut out a deck like Gruel so hard.
1: I think that what's interesting about the deck, the turn, the Jeskai turns Velamakas Lorehold deck, just the amount of like Strixhaven and Mystical Archive cards played in basically a two color deck. The only white card here is the Lorehold Dragon itself. You have Brainstorm, Memory Lapse, Mizzix Mastery, and Time Warp, all as four ofs for most of the versions of the deck. And then out of Strixhaven proper, you have four copies of Prismari Command, four copies of Magma Opus, and two copies of the Dragon. That's a that's a lot of fresh cards, and it's also very much like a Mystical Archive tribal. I mean, there's 16 <laughs> rare and mythics out of the Mystical Archive, and it's kind of interesting because a lot of pros after the event floated the idea that the Mystical Archive itself was a mistake and that they should get rid of a whole bunch of these cards to bring the power level back down, and instead they went with Time Warp. Time Warp got the boot, and it doesn't seem like they're as, nearly as concerned about Magma Opus and Mizzic's Mastery. They're not as concerned about Memory Lapse and Brainstorm. Despite the absolute domination uh, of blue and red decks, every single deck in the top eight was blue and red in, in Historic. 31 out of 32 copies of brainstorm because Seth Manfield is a troll and only <laughs> ran 3 for some reason.
0: Did you, did did you know what that reason was? I, I He probably couldn't afford it. Probably couldn't uh, afford it. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, broke broke <laughs> Seth Manfield. Um no, he actually posted on Twitter. He was like I misclicked and registered 3 instead of 4. It was it was literally just like an error.
1: <laughs> well, we couldn't have all perfect brainstorms. <laughs> no. No. Okay. So,
0: so th- you know, so CGB. This is obviously why Brainstorm wasn't banned. Is they were like, oh, only thirty-one copies. No, not, not broken. <laughs> Seth, why? <laughs> <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things, Seth. So yeah, but I mean, so what do you think about this? I think a lot of people were surprised that Time Warp was the ban. Do you think that it's surprising? Like, is that the first thing you would have reached for on the ban list? I'm surprised. Um,
1: because I don't think it's going to... I think it's just going to make the format one less combo deck, but I think a lot of the same cards will be good. Mm-hmm. Because if you cut Time Warp from this deck, you. I don't know if you still want to do the Velomachus Lorehold Indomitable Creativity stuff, but you just mm. find whatever the next big thing is, yeah, and you do kinda, that
0: thing. It becomes like a Gearhold deck, right? I mean, I think it's still pretty strong.
1: Or, do you remember what the best deck was? a few weeks before this deck was really found, what everybody was worried the format was going to be, it was just Sky Control. Yeah, which true. Which has a lot of the same cards. Mm-hmm. Just instead of killing you with Time Warp and Velimachus Lorehold on turn four or five, it will kill you over 50 turns with a Teferi Ultimate. Yeah. And which, I mean, does that make Historic a better place? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I mean, if you'd cut the Time Warps, the Loreholds, and the Creativities from this deck and you add to fairy, Narset, and
0: Counterspells, or Wrath of God. Like, you have almost the same deck. Mm. I mean, I can attest to how strong that Jeskai deck is. I have been playing a lot of control in Historic over the last couple of weeks. I've been Playing various Gear Hulk decks that, admittedly, weren't very good. But one of the decks that's been giving me the hardest time is surprisingly this Jeskai Control deck. And you mm-hmm. know what really puts it over the edge for me is freaking Expressive Iteration, dude. Yeah. This card, card, like in a control matchup, it's a nightmare, dude. Like because you kind of feel like you can't let it resolve because your opponent just gets so much advantage from it. But then the problem is you you spend your Counter spells dealing with that, and then they just slip a Noset or a Tefarian past you. Eventually, it's gonna happen. It just provides. I feel like the deck has a few too many spells that you can't afford to let resolve, and they're gonna get one of them on you eventually, and it's brutal. So. Oh yeah endless value it's just endless value
1: they're always if you're not pressuring them they're just always seeing more cards so your your threats have to be endless which is asking
0: a lot against a magma opus and wrath of god deck it's also just so tilting like like resolving your own noss and then getting it killed by your opponent's uh, lightning helix is just so tilting right because a lot of you know, these Azorius control decks in the past have had to, you know, they've had to spend pretty expensive cards to get rid of your Nasa, right? You know, you sneak it past their counter magic and you feel all clever, and then they basically they have to cast their the cast out, right? Like a four mana card to deal with it, or they maybe have to shark it, or they maybe have to Teferi tuck it to get it off the board. But now they can just dome it that you know, if even if they don't have their uh, access to their counter magic. They can just freaking kill it after you tick it down. So, there's it, just, yeah, there's a lot of things about this deck that are surprisingly tilting.
1: Yeah. And then you don't tick it down, but they have Prismari Command and Helix, and it's gone anyway. And you just spent three mana, and that's it. Uh, yeah, it it's, yeah. So, I think Jeskai Control is dangerous. But in lieu of this ban, I think the most dangerous deck by far is Is It Phoenix. Phoenix. And, yeah. yeah, there was some cool data shared online. Uh, MTG Data is a really good follow on Twitter if you haven't. And it so Phoenix posted, as the biggest percent of the meta, 35% considered a, an A-tier deck going in, posted a 52% win rate. But if you look into it, it was 40% against Jeskai Turns, which was the second most played deck and the highest portion of the winner's metagame. Every other matchup against a known meta deck is positive. And some are insanely positive. Junfood 68%, Jeskai control 57%, Mono-black aggro 56. Selesnya company 69%, nice. Gruul aggro 77%. Yeah. So, and that deck lost nothing. Except it's number one predator.
0: I think that that matchup against Gruul should tell you everything you need to know about how dangerous this deck is. The fact that they can just consistently outrace Gruul, because, I mean, you know, they're they're doing a little bit of controlling, they have burn spells, I don't know, they might bring in a Prismari command post-board, stuff like that. But, like, I think a lot of matches, they're just killing the Gruul player quickly. I think that one of the things this is highlighting to me is that Cards like Faithless Looting and Brainstorm make the deck consistent enough that you can actually execute your Phoenix plan pretty well. And that was one of the main questions that we were having about this deck coming into the format, is do we have the tools to actually find the Phoenixes and actually get them in the yard quick enough? And I think, in average, the answer is yes.
1: Between Brainstorm and Faithless Looting, you have very cheap ways to get deeper in the deck. Expressive Iteration, like you said, is still a rock star. Prismari Command is an interactive piece that Gruel hates that can also dump Phoenix into the graveyard. But a lot of decks don't even run it. Um, but the real thing with Phoenix that I found playing the deck is you run a lot of Pillar of Flames, a lot of Shocks, a lot of Lightning Acts In the matchups where those have targets, where those just kill something, you're playing aggro and control at the same time. You're killing their things and you're making threats for free. It's it's too much. Or if you have a sprite dragon, you're growing your threat for free. It it just absolutely dumpster's decks where their creatures die to shock type effects. And if you thought Bone Crusher Giant was like su- suppressive in standard, well now you're looking at historic where if your card dies to a shock you're basically saying i'm throwing away whatever mana i put into this and my opponent's getting a three two
0: yeah <laughs> it's not great it's no not it's great. true and i mean it's it, you're right that it's a deck which can answer a turn one lana it can mm-hmm. answer a turn two gruel spellbreaker for one mana right think like think about how savage lightning acts is against cruel they're like pretty brutal. Yeah, you know, I, I had my dream, my dream curve. I have a spellbreaker on two. It's a four four. It's coming in. Ah nope. My opponent answers it for one mana and leaves up mana for my next play or advances their own game plan. So yeah, it's uh, you're right. Like it's just uh, it's a nightmare.
1: Somebody's going to point out that the Spellbreaker has Hexproof on your turn. That's fine. This deck doesn't... It does everything on its own turn. Yep. They're instants, but you play them at sorcery speed so you can get back your birds. So you're fine taking three from that Spellbreaker if you're just going to smash it for one mana
0: and make a 3-2. Absolutely. And the other thing is, like, how does Gruul deal with a Sprite Dragon? I mean, it's like, if they can't kill it immediately, that thing's just going to dome them, you know? Yeah,
1: they've got a Bone Crusher
0: on time
1: on time it's it's a bad matchup and i think that the win rates shown there show that brainstorm is going to be a problem uh because why would you play a deck without brainstorm when you can play a deck with brainstorm other decks have to draw their good cards in the right order brainstorm decks get to just sculpt their hand over one or two turns and then take over the game with whatever cards they want to and the magma opus mastery thing is It that is also, I think, a part that we're not giving enough credit for just dumpstering the aggro decks. Because if turn three is kill two to three of your creatures, basically sweep your board and make a four-four and draw two cards. What? What are you gonna do? You said (laughs) you said maybe they'll have a questing beast. Come at me, bro. I'll take one more one for one trade with your four mana play. That's fine. Let's go. So I thought Mastery would get banned, to be honest. I thought Mastery is a bit much. I'm not sure why that card is in this format. I don't know why they thought this was the card that they had to add to the Mystical Archive. Time Warp, I kind of get it. Let's push the boundaries and do something flashy. Clearly, players enjoy this effect, or there wouldn't be Nexus Trolls the way there was. But Mastery, I don't get... I don't get why we
0: needed this. So here's what I hate about Mastery, is that... If you look at that card, there's there's just like five competitive-ish decks right off the dome that you can think of to build with with mastery. Yep, you know you have this Velamarcus deck, you have any Magma Opus deck, various Ultimatum decks that you could try to put together. I mean, there's. there's There's a lot of good ones, a lot of good ultimatums in Historic, and you can play basically any of them with Mizzix Mastery if you feel like it. There's also Dragonstorm. That's another deck which actually showed up in this tournament. Didn't seem to do that well but maybe it was just because it wasn't the best Mizzix Mastery deck in the format. So that deck, who knows, that that could still be strong. The point I'm making is, when it's easy to list off a bunch of decks that seem fairly good-ish with Mizzix Mastery, this caused a problem, right? Doesn't it feel like it just has to leave the format eventually?
1: I also just think that the amount of feels bads from people using graph diggers cages oh, <laughs> things God, like that. Yeah. Because of the templating for the card, because it exiles the spell, then casts it. It gets around a lot of the cards that you're used to. And it's just a weird card. Also the overloaded version of the card is such a free roll. And we saw in the top eight there was a lot of there were games that in the post-board games, when people do bring in their sideboard hate and their interaction and their plan is to kill the dragon and things like that, if they don't clock the deck, the, the Jeskai deck could just play this slow game, grind it out, and then win with an overloaded Mizzix Mastery that casts two or three time warps out of the graveyard.
0: Yeah, It's such a weird card that I wish it weren't there. I agree. Yeah, it just seems I think it answers the question of is a is a forecast sorcery fast enough for historic and the answer is definitely yes. This is one of the things that we're figuring out, right, is what's the speed of the format? What's the power level of the format? Obviously Wizards is just freaking spinning the roulette wheel with each new release that they're making here. You know, as we're definitely seeing here like you can play expensive cards in historic because there are enough ways to cheat them. And you know, and again, one of the unspoken things that's going on here is that you can afford to put stupid cards like Magma Opus and Mystic Mastery and stuff in your deck when you're running Brainstorm because when you, you know, have an opening hand with too many of them or whatever, you draw too many of them in the first couple of turns of the game, you just brainstorm them away. So, Brainstorm is kind of providing this enzymatic level of uh selection and control over what you do in Historic and it's making it a lot more possible to do stuff like play a Jeskai deck with a bunch of answers in it and just get rid of the ones that aren't good for you right or play a combo deck with a bunch of stupid cards in it and just get rid of the you know the cards when you don't need them so I think that it's easy to look at some of these results and say well Brainstorm's a good card but it's only good because you know these blue decks were good, right? These, these it decks were just powerful. They were playing other cards that were good. And because Brainstorm is a good card, we're just going to play it in all of them. But I think people are maybe missing, if they're not taking Brainstorm seriously, they're missing all of the various little interactions that it is creating or all the various ways that it's smoothing over problems that these decks would otherwise run into. I'm kind
1: of amazed at this point when I Brainstorm and then shuffle away some stuff, and then brainstorm again, and don't have exactly what I want. And that just tells you how stupid it is. (laughs) Because you shouldn't be able to spend one mana and a fetch land and one more mana and have the perfect hand. But that's the expectation I have now when I play these decks. Um, I had... The pleasure of testing Jeskai turns against somebody who's playing a tournament this weekend before the band came out and I was the turns player and they were playing a demonic pack deck that was Abzan so it didn't have blue it had thought sees and some hand interaction but just didn't have blue and I would just mulligan it didn't matter if I kept six cards five cards whatever as long as I got to like turn two or three do something close to combo and have a brainstorm somewhere in there they were just dead as soon as, as soon as he played a demonic pack he was just dead it, it was so it was ridiculous and uh this I think this deck had to go but I don't think it's enough to change the format. Do you agree with that? I think so.
0: Or if, if by change you mean balance, stabilize, make fair, make fun the format, then I definitely agree with that. There are definitely still bands to be made. I feel 100% confident saying that. To be clear, for the record, I like personally all of these cards they put into Historic. I don't have a problem with them putting powerful cards into Historic. As long as they're paying attention to the meta game and making sure that stuff stays you know, balanced-ish and fun-ish, then I'm totally fine with that. But, yeah, I mean, we're not done. <laughs> we're, we're not, not done. done. Yeah. And on that note, I, I think it's just
1: a little bit about the economy of the situation here. The day before uh, this time warp was banned, I was asked by that friend who wanted to test for a tournament to craft this deck. And I looked, and I opened the deck, and I immediately saw what it would take to craft it. And I was like, oh, this is why you got me. <laughs>
0: <Right>? <laughs> because...
1: Uh, we're, I'm looking at, between Indomitable Creativity, Mizzix Mastery, Time Warp, Magma Opus, and Velomachus Lorehold, I'm looking at 18 mythic wild cards. 18 mythic wild cards. And then on top of that, you have the rares that sh- were never rare before. Brainstorm, Memory Lapse, uh, Prismari Command, which I think is a very safe craft for the record. But, I mean, we're like that's without going to the sideboard. And when they banned Time Warp, a few of those cards become a lot less good. I would say Indomitable Creativity is much less good. Probably not something I wanted
0: to spend four wild cards on. That, that card was basically a meme in Historic before Time Warp was printed, so yeah. Yeah, so goodbye Mythics, uh, and I'm not getting those
1: back. And what I want to say to those thinking about crafting into the next Mizzix Mastery deck that you see... Um, I don't know if you want to because as soon as Mixx Mastery is gone, Magma Opus is still standard playable, but it's I don't know if it's going to be historic playable. It's good with Gear Hulk, but it's not the same level of broken uh at all.
0: So watch out, guys. Yeah, exactly. Just treat treat your wild cards carefully if you care about them. It's hard, right? Like this is a hard discussion because obviously mythic cards are good. I think usually in Magic decks, it kind of turns out where the the combinations of cards make it so that you're not having to invest all of these heavy-hitting wild cards to play a deck. But every once in a while, a deck like this does come along. And I think it's smart to just, if you're worried about the cost, be worried about it. Don't craft the deck, you know? (laughs) There are other decks to play in Historic. Yeah, I I think that that's kind of, I think it's pretty safe, Especially like this, right? You have so many of these, yeah, kind of meme cards or cards that don't fit as easily into other stuff. Like, for example, Brainstorm or Memory Lapse. These are cards on the other end of the spectrum. Like, 100% craft them. Craft them as soon as you can. Because either A, they're going to go into every deck and they're going to be great, or B, they're going to get banned and you'll get them back. And likely the other cards that you play with around them are still going to be good cards so you know if i was if i was going to craft into a deck in historic like phoenix is a much better deck to craft into right because like a lot of the cards in that deck are commons and uncommons um the rares and mythics i mean you know the only mythic in that deck right is the phoenix itself i think then any of the rares that get banned you know you get your wild cards back and it's not that big of a deal so i actually think that that if someone wants to be competitive in historic that's a fairly cheap deck to get into right now
1: yeah Uh, and just good advice in general, if you're worried about the price and what if this gets banned, try not to do it, try to play a different format or a different deck.
0: It seems obvious, but I think sometimes people need a reminder, like it's okay. You know, people, Mm -hmm. people do this in paper all the time, right? People look at a modern deck and they're like, do I want to drop one to two K on this deck? X card might get banned and they don't craft it, you know, or they don't buy it. Right. And I think that that's like, that's a very common magic question to ask yourself. So you don't have to feel like you're being a a wimp or some risk averse person just to avoid investing. All right. So that was a kind of touch on Historic and the Historic Meta game. Still a very interesting format. I highly recommend playing it right now. It's very fun. But I wanted to, before we get into some announcements, I wanted to touch briefly on another deck which showed up big time at the Strixhaven Set Championship, and that is the Jeskai Mutate deck in Standard. So I think I, like many people, was totally blindsided by this deck. I had not heard of it before the tournament. I do, of course, remember there being previous iterations of the Jeskai Mutate deck, which were, I I remember you actually introduced me to one of those, CGB. And while that deck was fun and could have some very powerful turns, it was definitely not really a player at all in the competitive matter. So it was pretty cool to see how the introduction of a couple of cards, such as the Goldspan Dragon, which is really a centerpiece of that deck, have really put it on the map. So CGB, why don't you explain for me and the people a little bit more about the theory behind this deck and what it's trying to do?
1: I have an issue with something that you said. Okay. You said we're going to briefly touch on this. Okay. I I don't
0: think that's possible. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) alright. Fair. Fair. I I have as you will soon find out, I have tasked CGB with the impossible, which is explaining what is maybe one of the hardest to play and most complicated combo decks that we've seen on arena in a long time.
1: A very, very, very Just beaten into the ground subreddit, since Open the Omen Paths was spoiled, is a Jeskai Mutate combo deck with Vadrok, Apex of Thunder, which involved mutating Vadrok, casting Open the Omen Paths to generate the four mana... that you can only cast on creatures or enchantments, using that mana to mutate something else, which lets you get that mutate trigger, as well as the Vaidrock trigger, making four mana to again mutate. So if you get in a way to draw cards, uh, and you draw enough mutate, in theory you go infinite, draw your deck, and find a way to win. So that's where it started. When... By the time that, like, Kaldheim was out and before Strixhaven came out, there were some pretty neat things you could do. You could use the Search for Glory Tutor enchantment to get an Orvar of the all-form, put that onto the battlefield, and then use Defiant Strike on your mutated creature to make copies of it until you had, like, 50 copies, and if they had haste, you could then attack for the win. It was some pretty cool stuff, and I've made videos with all these iterations. Some big brains figured out that all that memeing is nonsense and that we got the cards we needed and a different kind of mana battery out of Strixhaven. And the key cards from Strixhaven are number one, expressive iteration. Expressive iteration just gets you through your deck and gets you to the right pieces. In the past, the deck ran See the Truth because if you mutate a Rock Apex of Thunder, you cast See the Truth from your graveyard. Uh, or, or And that means that you get three cards instead of the look at the top three, pick one. But that got cut for Expressive Iteration, which basically does something close to See the Truth all the time. It always gets you one card, gets you another, and you have that selection. And usually at least one card from your See the Truth was a dud anyway. You didn't need all three. You just needed a few of the right ones. Expressive Iteration is just full-time See the Truth better in a lot of cases. And then the other one is Prismari Command. Prismari Command fits the bill of being able to get cast by Vaedroc, Apex of Thunder, and it creates mana. It creates a treasure. So, the reason that we no longer need Open the Omen Paths or the other Defiant Strike or any of the other mana generation that it used in the past to go infinite is because if you have a Goldspan Dragon and you mutate Vaedrock Apex of Thunder onto the Goldspan Dragon, it will create a treasure because you targeted the Goldspan Dragon with a spell, even though it's a creature spell because of the mutate. Then you will use the Vaidrok to cast Prismari Command. You can... You don't have to do this always, but you can target the dragon for two damage and create a treasure, which creates a total of three treasures from the exchange. You spent four mana, you made six. So it's a great way to start getting ahead on mana. Now, you can't target your dragon too many times, you'll kill it, but you can use unsubstantiate to return these things to the hand, make another treasure, replay them. Again, continue the loop. If you throw in a Lord Rackus getting something like returning a Spike Field Hazard to your hand, the Spike Field Hazard can target your dragon, which, of course, makes a treasure for one mana that you use for two mana because of the dragon. Now, you might say, CGB, you're bouncing the dragon to your hand. You can't use, then your treasure is only tapped for one You can't replay the dragon. You sacrifice them with these things on the stack, like the Unsubstantiate targeting the dragon. You resolve the treasure. You sacrifice. You make all the mana. You return it. You replay the dragon. You replay the mutators. Once you have enough mutation going on that you can just continue the cycle, you make all the mana you need, and you end up having the kill condition. You don't need, like, a giant hasty creature. You don't need anything too crafty. Your kill condition is, again, Prismari Command because you can just target the opponent pointing it to the
0: face yeah after all of this has taken about 10 minutes to set up or whatever so minimum (laughs) so i mean if you haven't seen this deck in action i would highly suggest watching someone like covert go blue or maybe go back and watch the vods of the set championship watch someone really good with the deck play through it for a while because otherwise you will just you'll you'll lose your combo pretty quick You'll run out of gas, you'll run out of momentum, and you'll probably just lose horribly. So I recorded with it
1: today, and I had to play... I've played a lot of games of vaidrock recently, both in Brawl, which is a whole other story, but trying to get the same thing to happen, and uh, in Standard with Jeskai Mutate. And like the I lost four of my first five games badly, but every single time I could look and be like, okay, this is where I messed up. This is where... And it was like a really tiny mistake. Or something that you could easily do. So this is a big brain deck. If you watch my videos, I am very much not an expert. I am trying to find my way, and I at least try to explain what's working, where it works, why it works. And I definitely locate some of the pitfalls that you fall into just trying to play this like a regular deck. Um, and if you watch a pro play it, you can learn a lot there, although you won't probably get them talking through why they do what they do. In fact, it's almost funny to hear commentators who have never seen the deck before try to explain why or what is going on because it is uh, it is a gigabrain, high IQ build that takes a lot of practice, it, it and it does. We might do it someday. We talked about it. I hope we don't false promise here, but it
0: probably does deserve its own show. If you've ever played, for example, the... Um... Uh, what was that teamer enchantment that draws a bunch of cards and you deck yourself and, and win with, uh, I, I can't remember the name of it. It's Song of Creation? Song of Creation. Oh, yeah. that's easy mode compared to this. That, that's what I'm talking about. So if you've ever played a Song of Creation deck and you understand like the thought process that goes into a deck like that, or maybe if you've played like an Underworld Breach deck, that's another example of a deck that kind of requires a little bit of braining and planning and taking 30 actions in the same turn or whatever. So this is like those decks multiplied by a factor of of something in difficulty so just to give you an idea of how hard it is
1: the brutal part of it is not only do you have to like think through your plays you have your other big competition is the rope because the timer will just run out on you playing this deck so if you're taking your time setting it up and thinking about all the ways to set it up you won't have enough rope to even complete the turn or the kill and on top of that I mean, I should save this for the the episode dedicated to it, but on top of all that, even if you play fast, sometimes you can't complete the kill in the turn and you have to know when you're on zero timeouts because if you go to your end step and the the auto like with no timeouts and the discard does it auto for you, it will just discard all the wrong cards. Whereas if you go to the end step and leave enough time to discard down to hand size and you keep all your counter spells, you're probably going to win anyway. But, but if you don't leave enough time, of course the auto-discarder will just dump all those, leave your lands, and then you die a horrific death. It, it is such a hard deck to play. And you have to know that sometimes even playing it perfectly, you won't actually complete the combo when you have it. So you have to make sure you w- like survive the next turn with a handful of counter magic.
0: I mean, here's another nightmare. Imagine trying to play this deck in a match against the Is It Dragons list, which is full of its own burn and counter spells and brazen borrowers and stuff
1: oh i found that easy
0: mode oh really oh
1: this deck it looks and when you hear mutate you think you think it folds to removal counter spells and interaction not really um it is a really pesky deck to get around because it's not that hard to maneuver yourself into a place where you resolve a dragon and at that point the game is kind of over in a lot of ways what the people who played mutate discovered is this is a better version of the prismari dragons deck oh
0: interesting yeah mm-hmm. yeah Less adventure
1: I, more mutate who would have thought
0: i would have just imagined that it would be very very hard to prioritize how to play your combo when your opponent has access to like a bone crusher that can kill your dragon in response to you dealing damage to it or you know can you kind of disrupt you at a key moment in your combo where you actually end up losing your dragon or you actually end up screwing yourself over because a large part of the deck is actually bouncing stuff back to your own hand and dealing damage to your own creatures and stuff. So did you not find that to be a problem when the opponent can kind of interact with you on the stack and kind of mess up your plans? That's the fun part, to be honest.
1: (laughs) I mean, every time that you get a huge stack with a bunch of targeting of your dragon, it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to have all the mana I need now. Thank you. I was going to unsubstantiate this dragon eventually anyway. And and unsubstantiate is such a key card because you really do need it to both keep your opponent from doing their game plan and to keep your dragon alive. It is very much a bounce your own card card in this deck, which I think a lot of people miss. It's one of the easiest things to mess up. But yeah, the, the trick is when they start targeting things, you just have unsubstantiate, and you just keep piling onto the stack until the last thing is the
0: unsubstantiate.
1: And it's like, thanks for the free treasure, bro.
0: Yeah, I guess that's true. In a way, they're helping your combo by targeting your dragon. So anyway, yeah, this is just another example of how big brain the deck is. So, But check it out. I mean, it's like one of the coolest... And most fun decks that I've seen on Arena in a long time.
1: It also came out of somewhat nowhere in the Strixhaven Championship, this new trimmed down version. And it put up a 61% win rate in standard, which is better than the next eight decks above it in metagame share. 15 people played it, so... Uh, Above it was Mono Red, Mono White, Demir Rogues, Cycling, all of those under 50% win rate, by the way. Gruul Adventures, Nye Adventures, Is It Dragons? Those slightly over 50. And then the number one deck in the format uh, that everybody knew coming in, the deck you've been down with since day one, Sultai Ultimatum. Most played, 20% of the meta,
0: 47% win rate. Oof, kind of brutal. They figured out how to kill it. Yep kind of brutal i mean yeah that deck probably does not play well against combo would be my guess um so yeah man i mean it's kind of funny to think that i'm not sure how many people if if any did this but it's funny to think that two jeskai combo decks based around strict saving cards were like the best decks to play at that f- you know that tournament which i think is a little it's fitting right the Strixhaven championship we got to actually demonstrate why some of the cards in this set are as good as design obviously thought that they were right because i think yeah when we were evaluating the set we were looking at cards like magma opus like prismari um yeah prismari command even expressive iteration i mean we both knew that was going to be a good card but it was hard to tell exactly how actually disgusting that card is and um So this, I think, has been definitively proved. These cards are good. Build decks around them. It's going to turn out.
1: Yeah, I think that if you had asked before the set came out, like, would Strixhaven impact standard meta? The answer would be no. But it showed up big time in both historic, unsurprisingly, I would say, but in standard, Prismari Command and Expressive Iteration did a lot to shape this format. And the decks that had great win rates, I I think it also kind of shows that, in a way, uh, it's Prismari is Strixhaven. Like, the Prismari house won the cup on the DL. Oh, you know definitely. What I
0: mean? <laughs> <laughs> no question. With an honorable shout-out to Lawhold, But really, yeah, Prismari it is. And, of course, going forward post-rotation, I expect a lot of these cards to be some of the better cards in the format. So... Yeah, I, I, my guess is that Prismari is going nowhere. It's probably only getting better over time. Yeah.
1: Blue yep. Red is here to stay.
0: Yep. For our final segment here, Covert Go Blue, I'm excited for you to take us through some announcements and to do a little gas or ass. So, what's going on with that?
1: All right. Since we are the Arena Craft podcast, the podcast dedicated to things in Magic Arena, I'm going to try. Uh, let me know if you like this in the comments or in any kind of feedback like Discord. We're going to try going over some of the events that are coming up here in the month of June and uh, talk about whether or not we're excited about them or uh, just basically give a reaction to them in the gasser-ass format where I'm going to pitch them to Arjuna and we're going to get his take. And the first one, Jumpstart. So Jumpstart should be live on the client right now, I believe. Yeah, yeah it says it, it. it dates June. 4th through July 8th. So it's going to be running the rest of the month. So gas or ass on Jumpstart. Kind of this pre-packaged way to play Magic in a can. It's kind of like a weird combo of Constructed and Limited. I, I don't quite
0: know how to explain it, but take it away. Okay, so the idea of Jumpstart is Gas. I love it. I love what they're trying to do there. I love what they're going for. I think it's a really cool way to get people into Limited. It's also just a really cool way to get people into Magic. Right, If you have a friend who's never played Magic before, I love the idea in paper of being able to buy jumpstart packs and say, look, you put two of these together, you got a deck. It costs, uh, you know, they're kind of cheap, right? They tried to make it accessible. Um, So the idea of it is gas. The implementation of it, however, in my opinion, is ass. And there's a couple of reasons for that. The first one is that a lot of the cards in these decks just suck. (laughs) And it's not just okay. I play a lot of limited, right? I play a lot of limited. I'm used to putting like very, very subpar cards in my deck, but these are like they like break through the floor on how bad these cards are. I mean, they've got just awful, awful. I I wish I could think of some examples, but like you look at these cards and you're like, I would never in a million years put this card in my deck. I would never select this from a draft. There was just no circumstance in which I would play this card. If this was in my sealed pool, I'd play anything else. So there were so many bad cards in the format that it kind of ruined it. Another thing that made it kind of ass was that some of the decks are really lopsided. So, for example, I was playing in a matchup where my opponent resolved a Baneslayer Angel, and I was like, sweet, my deck doesn't have a Baneslayer Angel, bro. And it feels so much worse because in sealed or in regular draft you at least feel like you had a shot, right? You got to see a lot of packs. You got a fair amount of agency over your deck. Whereas in this format, it's like, I got two packs. I opened two packs and whatever they were, I play them, right? And if my opponent got like the Muxus pack or, you know, the Baneslayer Angel pack, they're just so far ahead of the game. So there are a lot of feels-bads like that. The final thing I'll say is that it did introduce some... Kind of problematic cards to the historic format like Muxus. The the whole conversation about like kind of economy okay, like for example, if you don't want to be just crafting all of your Moxises and all of your Craterhoof of myths and all this other stuff, you can't buy your Jumpstart packs, right? You can't just save off a bunch of gold and buy a bunch of Jumpstart product. You have to actually participate in the event and play the thing, which I think was by design. They wanted people to play the set, but it just raises all kinds of issues as far as like collection management, actually acquiring the cards, etc. So from like an implementation on a arena standpoint it's just a total ass
1: (laughs) yeah uh we also didn't touch on the fact that the paper product has some cards that were just
0: inexplicably left out of arena oh really interesting yeah yeah like lightning bolt (laughs) (laughs) oh (laughs) it's becoming quite a problem card
1: on arena isn't it maybe that bane slayer angel wouldn't have caused you so much trouble if you just path to exiled it but Uh, they didn't they they cut that would have been nice nice So, um, yeah, I'm also, I I found Jumpstart to be too low-powered for me. Uh, And I thought that that was my bias that I don't like limited, usually because of that. To hear you say that as a limited player, like, ugh, I have standards, okay? I don't just put these absolute trash cards in my deck. I'm like, okay, I get it. But uh, I think a lot of people like it. I, I am kind of, it was such a sneaky way to introduce some cards to Historic. The Mystical Archive is very on the nose, but jumpstart was like a sneaky way to like mess up that format in my opinion
0: especially since the card pool is vast i mean it's i don't remember it's like a thousand cards or 800 it's cards a lot of cards and yeah there are... my, I, I tried to set review it i quit after like an hour <laughs> and i mean it's just one of those annoying formats where like someone mentions some random old, you know, like, this isn't in the format, but they'll mention something like, uh, you know, Noble Hierarch or something, right? And you'll be like, oh, that's not on Arena. And then someone will be like, technically it is, because it's in Jumpstart. And you're just like, well... no, Noble Hierarch, for the record, is not in Arena. It's not, it's (laughs) not. But that's just an example of, like, there are just these rando cards that made that they kind of slipped in under the radar in Jumpstart. And so, yeah. If, if you're wondering whether a card is in Historic, now you have to double check.
1: Yep, people don't like that sometimes. So anyway, <laughs> I'm going to move to the next one. This, is, a, right. this is an interesting one. I, I swear you've talked about this on the show, but I don't remember. So Arena Cube is live right now and will be live until June 8th. This updated cube list features cards from the Mystical Archive. So cube on Arena, the Arena Cube, gas or ass?
0: Overall, I would say gas. Cube is an important part of keeping magic fun in the long term for people. Magic Online has discovered this. I would say one of the most consistently popular formats on Magic Online is the cube. And it's one of the things that really keeps that uh, platform going and I think that over time on Arena it's going to be the same way as people play more and more of Arena and they get more and more tired of these established formats they're going to be looking for fresh things to do and especially for people who play Limited, if you watch like Sea, for example who probably plays like 50 or even 60 hours a week of Limited on Arena and you watch him like over the weeks he like slumps lower and lower in his chair when he's like Great another silver quill deck in this format And one of, here's the interesting thing about limited, right is that you can think to yourself limited, it has more variety than constructed because every draft is different and every deck is different. And while that's true, one of the kind of underpublicized shortcomings of limited is that there are a number of archetypes, And they're the best archetypes, and there are a number of cards that are the best cards in those decks. And over time, you get forced into playing the same cards in a limited format. And it's very, very uncommon. It's like 1 in 10 drafts or something where you get to put together some fabulous, exciting new deck. But a lot of the time, if you want to win at limited, you just have to draft like the same whatever deck, right? The same Silver Cool deck, the same Prismari deck. And they start to look really, really similar, and it gets soul crushingly boring to keep playing the same format. And in Constructed, you get tired of a deck, you switch to a different deck. You get tired of that deck, you switch to a different deck. You can kind of do it on command. As soon as you feel bored, you switch it up, right? So, But Cube! <laughs> sorry, okay. <laughs> I, I went on a rant there. I guess I'm feeling a bit ranty today. So... So, Cube is a godsend for people like Deathsea because it's a whole new limited format to get into. And I think that this current one is really good. There have been previous iterations of the Cube that I found quite boring, but I think that this particular mix of cards, for me personally, has been very fun. Um, perhaps I'm riding on the high of like the last two Cube streams I've done, uh, like me trophying with LS Norn Selesnia Ramp decks. So, <laughs> that's a highlight. But yeah, I I think this current iteration is total gas, and I think cube in general is gas. Nice. I got to, last
1: weekend, some people came up, rented a cabin, and invited me over. I got to play Vintage Paper Cube. LSV's cube. That is a hell of a drug. I don't know if I can do a normal cube after drafting Ancestral Recall first pick and Snapcaster Mage second pick and Mystical Tutor at some point later ever again but that is when what like they already have like some power coded into arena we've talked about this before they used it on some weird hype event for um theros but it like vintage cube with those cards on arena i would play that this i'm not interested yet it just looks like bad versions of
0: constructed decks i've played a hundred times to be Which honest. is totally fair. That is a fair criticism of it, and it can feel that way sometimes.
1: But I will, oh yeah, as soon as I, I can draft me an Ancestral Recall again, let's go. It might happen. It might. I, it should. I mean, why shouldn't they? They already coded them.
0: Let's let's do busted stuff. Oh, let's go. Snapcaster on Arena. I am <clears throat> ready. I'm ready. All right. So uh, the last one here is
1: Historic Brawl, It is coming on June 18th. It will be available... uh, Oh, wait. From June 19th... Let's see. Okay, so June 18th is a Friday. The FNM at Home event will feature 100-card Historic Brawl event for free to try it out. Then on June 19th through 25th, the 100-card Historic Brawl Fest event will be running. So you get a week, and you get the first day to try it out for free. This is 100 cards. It's historic, and it's brawl. So this is the closest they've come to commander on MTG Arena, are
0: is it gas or ass, Arjuna? Total gas. I mean, total gas. This this is the format that people want. I mean, let's be honest. If there's one thing which people have been clamoring for since the inception of Arena, it's make Historic Brawl a regular format. Make this a queue that people can go into anytime they want. And it's it's a sore spot. I mean, frankly, there's obviously a reason they don't want to do it. But it's, uh, you know, and it's possible. Here's where I put on my like theory brain thinking cap, my my freaking conspiracy theory cap. But I think the combination of historic brawl being a really fun format, a really varied format, and a really budget-friendly format might right there be the reason that they haven't instituted it as a regular queue on arena because frankly people just wouldn't spend money if if they could spend all of day playing this format so I think that you know historic brawl with 60 cards was already a great format and i I, I really like the hundred cards because it it is it's commander this is basically from my understanding of the format it's commander and the only difference is just that the card pools a lot smaller is that right yeah yeah if you um if you have never played
1: like singleton hundred card format and you find it kind of intimidating because maybe something that you like about standard is that you have a strategy and you know how to enact your strategy and you build for consistency and you try to do the same thing every single game. And if you think that that's not replicate replicable in a 100 card singleton format with a commander, I will tell you it is very doable. Like you can all that you need is a commander with a clear theme, and there are enough cards to go around most of those themes right now in Historic Brawl. And I, I'm i really excited about this format. I'm really excited to try it with 100, because I did start to feel like 60 was too small. I, like, I was playing a lot of the same cards over and over. What, like, Once Upon a Time in Uro come to mind as a few of the busted cards available in Historic Brawl that just... Should be in your deck if they're in these colors. And certain things just started to, like, I started to just build my decks very one, two, three. You know, treasure map, Arcane Signet, Tome of Legends. Like, I run these cards in everything. And then it only left me so many spots to work with. I think it's going to be fun to figure out the 100-card uh, puzzle again. So I think this is a great time to introduce it. We've introduced so many powerful cards to Historic through the Archive that they also made a lot of historic brawl decks seem samey because of course you're going to run brainstorm etc uh, but yeah i'm this is going to be awesome and i'm going to try to put some decks on the channel for this because i know that from feedback i hear from players who play standard they want to get into brawl but they don't like building a deck feels like too much because of all the singleton cards it's just it's overwhelming so my brawl videos like the downloads on the deck list have like been really amazing like more than some of my standard videos so i'm going to try to get some hundred card lists for historic brawl out there because i want people to play this you and i have said this off you and i have said this off uh stream before or i've said it to you but i was like i was a doubter of commander for a long time and then I started playing it. And then I, you know, kind of experienced it with some of these powerful cards that have been introduced in the last few years. While the standard meta and the historic meta get solved and beaten into the ground and it gets exhausting, the singleton formats like Brawl just, they don't lose that shine very often. They really don't. And I I do think it is possibly, I think it is the better way to play Magic. I, I think that in a modern digital sense, formats are going to get solved quickly. And if they're not going to release more sets, though they're working on that, and if they're not going to ban cards more, which they're working on that, and if they're never going to nerf cards, which they're testing that, like all these things they're trying to do to keep the format fresh, but I just don't get tired playing Commander. I don't get tired playing Brawl. Like the... Every game is kind of unique and different as long as one of two things don't happen. One, you draw lands. This, this is a universal truth in magic. Two, the person doesn't combo, like somebody at the table doesn't combo kill you on turn three or whatever. If those two things don't happen, you're probably going to play a unique, interesting game of magic. And I think that's a promise that Standard and Historic just can't offer for the entirety of a format.
0: I totally agree. I mean, speaking as someone who's latest frustration on Arena is opponent playing turn 1 Lanawar Elf every single game of every single match. It's like, cool, I get it, you had it that one game, but like I play best of three, and when the opponent has it every turn one of a three game match, like I want to flip the table, dude, I want to flip the table. You only get to put four of those in your deck, right? I'm pretty sure. So, I, I mean, come on, man. It's not like they're mulling to five for it either. So, um, so yeah, I totally agree. And, and here's the thing, man. It's like 100 cards is 66% more cards than 60 cards is. So, yeah, if you're tired of, like, your opponent, loo- you know, if you're tired of losing to Ugin, for example, which is a very popular card in these Singleton formats, it really just comes up a lot less in 100-card decks than it does in 60-card decks. And uh, I agree, man. It's just, it's a really fun way to play Magic. I think it, one of the things I like most about Singleton formats is that you have to have a plan. In in a 60-card format, you can, you know, build a deck with just a bunch of strong cards that kind of work together, and you kind of get there, and it's fine. But in Singleton, like, if your deck doesn't have a plan, and if it's not synergistic with your commander, it's just going nowhere, basically. So... I really I feel like it reinforces a lot of the foundational core ideas of what makes people good at magic and what you have to consider when you're playing magic. And uh, I just I, I agree. It's it's a wonderful way to play. It provides a lot of longevity for the game, it makes cards that were otherwise memey or bad or ridiculous or overlooked have a moment to shine. And it also speaks to the Vorthos in us, right? And if if y'all aren't familiar with that term, Vorthos is like the people who really enjoy the flavor of magic and they enjoy the story of magic. And it gives people who like to express themselves a chance to do that. And one of my favorite things about formats like these is obviously, you know, you can play them competitively, as I'm sure you do, CGB. You like to win. That's one thing I've ascertained about Covert Go is he likes to win. But, um, you know, for a lot of people such as myself, who sometimes don't care that much about winning, I like I like just building awful decks and playing them, right? And uh these commandery formats give you a chance to do that. And for some reason, it turns off the spike in me. Like, I can just sleeve up some bad deck and lose most of the time, and every once in a while I win. And that's enough for me in singleton formats. So, yeah, I, I think that this... I don't know. I think if arena is going to survive long-term as a platform, I feel like we need to have more of this and I would like to see it in a queue. I agree. Total gas, total gas, which I think I hope I pray I try to make describe our podcast every week. And thank you for joining us for another week of the arena Craft podcast. It's always a pleasure to do these for you. Thank you to all of our patrons for supporting us on patreon that's a great way that you can help keep this show going help keep a smile on cgb's face help both of us pay our rent so uh, patreon.com forward slash arena craft podcast you can find us there you can also find us on a number of platforms yes we're on spotify every week someone has trouble finding us on spotify we are there you can also watch this <laughs> you can watch this on Kovert uh, YouTube channel. If you are a listener, you can see the funny expressions he's making with his face right now. Um, if you are watching this on CGB's channel, you can also take us on the road with you on your podcast player of choice. So keep that in mind as well. You can also but is catch... it on
1: Spotify? I can't find it on Spotify.
0: It is. It is. It's Look, on again. I listen Look again. Look again. Spotify <laughs> Scroll. keep scrolling scroll in okay. scroll and scroll in uh you can also you can catch covert go blue streaming on Twitch regularly during the week I've been streaming a fair amount lately twitch.tv forward slash craft podcast so you can catch me doing that too I've been cubing and uh, all right CGB I look forward to catching you next week in the Groundhogs day time continuum known as the Arena Craft podcast which somehow manages to happen every single week it's a miracle. I'm looking forward to seeing you next weekend. Later, crafties.